Hello, and welcome to the Green Team of the Legendarium, the weird little spinoff where patrons of the Legendarium talk about the books and topics the main crew hasn't gotten around to yet. I'm Little Red Book. Tonight, I have with me the unusually grumpy Chesky. Hello. And the surprisingly content Seeker42. Hello. Megan couldn't join us tonight, but we, but she will be back for our third volume. We'll be discussing volume two of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. That would be chapters 23 through 44. As we get started, Hiran Finn asked, share bits of char- characterization, world building, and style that you enjoy. All right. Well, uh, did we want to do a summary first of the chapter so we can explain our characterization or anything? Or Maybe we should do that first. What do you think, Seeker? Sounds good. Okay. Yep. You're on. Seeker, you're on. Oh, me? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were doing the summary. I did write one. I didn't know I was going to be able I was going to be reading it. <laughs> you are. Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mr. Honeyfoot and Mr. Segundus meet Jonathan Strange at the Shadow House and complain about Mr. Norrell buying up all the magical books. Mr. Strange is persuaded to seek out Mr. Norrell. Mr. Norrell accepts Jonathan Strange as a pupil after insulting him. While teaching Jonathan Strange, the two sides of Mr. Norrell's nature do battle. Stephen gets showered with gifts. Arabella Strange meets Lady Pole. Jonathan Strange is a self-absorbed donkey. In a move reminiscent of King David, Mr. Norrell gets Jonathan Strange sent to war so he can get his hands on some attractive books. Arabella Strange... (laughs) I like that. (laughs) (laughs) That was really good. Okay, sorry. That's okay. Arabella Strange desperately tries to make her husband happy by getting him a gift. Strange makes roads for Sir Arthur Wellesley. Meanwhile, back in England, the search for the Raven's King books continues, and the man with the thistle-down hair has decided to make Stephen King of England. Mr. Strange rearranges the landscape and talks to zombies, then returns home a hero after the defeat of Napoleon. Upon his return to England, Jonathan Strange is asked to try to cure the madness of King George. He is unsuccessful, but does prevent the king from being kidnapped by the man with the thistle-down hair. Strange doesn't tell Norrell. Story of the book. (laughs) Yeah. A rift forms between Strange and Norrell. Strange continues to ignore his wife even as she tries to relay helpful information. Strange enters the Looking Glass and travels the paths of magic to uncover the perfidy of Mr. Drawlight, who has been selling access to magic without the magician's knowledge, but then must walk home. In an attempt to punish Drawlight, Mr. Norrell tries to revive the magical court of the Sink Dragons with himself as its head, naturally. But Mr. Mm -hmm. Drawlight soon pays for his deceptions in debtor's prison. After Mr. Norrell criticizes Jonathan Strange for mirror walking, Jonathan Strange publicly criticizes Mr. Norrell's whole approach to magic and the Raven King. Jonathan Strange breaks with Mr. Norrell and leaves London. Arabella Strange continues to be an afterthought to her husband. Jonathan Strange helps win Waterloo and learns an important lesson about trying to see the future. Mr. Segundus tries to open a school for magic and is impeded by Mr. Norrell. Jonathan Strange does not reply to a plea for help. 
Mr. Norrell is unhappy that Jonathan Strange has been writing a book. Meanwhile, the man with the thistle-down hair plots boggy magical mischief. Arabella Strange dies and leaves behind a mysterious puddle of black water. And that's it. Pretty much. It's as good a recollection as any. <laughs> um, I love, as far as stylistically, how they... There's basically two, three stories going on in this um, section. There's a story of Stephen and the thistle-down-haired man. There's the story of Arabella forming a friendship with... Um, Lady Pole. Thank you. And there's Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell's rivalry. But they yeah. interconnect pretty well. And for reasons I don't understand, maybe will be pertinent in part four, there's the whole Mr. Segundus plot line that just seems to be there. That's, I, uh, let me get this uh, onto hearing fans' questions a little bit. Uh, bits of characterizations, world building, and style that I enjoy. I think I would have enjoyed this more if her editor had cut down like half to three-fourths of this whole book so far. It's just, so much, so much. The little bit with Mr. Segundus that doesn't, unless, like you say, Seeker, there's something coming. That chapter does nothing for us. Not at least not for me. Maybe it does for a lot of other people who well, really well, like well, it. Well, not yet. I mean, I'm hoping that it it like has something to do with something in part three because Ooh. otherwise, what's he there for? Because it, he's been there since saying. the beginning. But he doesn't need to be anymore. He's had his part. I, I mean, it, if something happens, then we'll see. But I wouldn't mind if every chapter was cut in half and she had to clean up half of the descriptions about people that we'll never see or don't need to really know about. I just feel like she way over-describes everything to me. Not in a purpley prose kind of a way, but in a, this is the guy who had a, had a bucket and he got the bucket from his neighbor and the neighbor used to use the bucket for taking milk in from the shed, but now he doesn't use it anymore because he gave it back to this guy. And, and it's like, I don't need the history of this bucket that I'm going to see for 10 seconds or this man or this tree or this farm and, and uh, or like the Wilsers who keep the king in the mental asylum. Like it, it's very cool. It's very nice that she wrote it all, but I'm like, just cut like three fourths of it. I don't, care about the Wilsers and why they have a, an insane asylum or who yeah. I like some of her characterizations, characterizations of uh, Mr. Strange and Mr. Norrell though especially Mr. Norrell because in the first book half he was very it felt like he was very like I'm just against magic except for me but then he meets Mr. Norrell or Mr. Strange and he's like oh my gosh I have someone to talk to and it's like so much better with somebody else than just by myself and He's still not enough to just be like, I can give you all my books and you can have full access because that's just not who he is. You know, he likes to keep them pristine and clean and, you know, worries about he's like a he's like a paranoid guy. You know, he's paranoid. Well, he's, about him. he's a miser. Yeah. And that's just books. that's just who he is, though. He's not he doesn't do it to be like mean, per se. I don't think it's just kind of like in his mind. That's what you do with his books. Right. You know, they keep some safe. I think he wants to be in the history books. And he's paranoid that someone else will steal his spotlight. That's the impression I'm getting. Going back to um, 
strange in Norrell's and their relationship. I like the contrast between their characters. By the way, it's hilarious when Jonathan Strange is like, I'm going to borrow 40 books to go to war. Oh, yeah. You know? And he, he, he played in such a way where he's like, oh, you can't say no with the general here. And so Mr. Norrell's like, oh, crap, I have to like, you have to be protected. Did you have to? Yeah. So I like Take that. An iron box. Yeah. <laughs> Put them in the library. He's like, I can't use them if, you know, they're in a library. I'm going to be with the army. At the very beginning, when Mr. Norrell takes on Strange as a student, he writes this list. This very precise list. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan Strange's list that he asks for the books is there's ink blots and there's Oh, it's scratched out all over the it's place. It's written out. in the and margins. Like a... uh-huh. yeah. And he started composing a poem to his wife right. on the same page. Exactly. <laughs> and I just thought that that was such a neat way to contrast their characters. One is OCD and the other is ADHD. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. That's kind of funny. I always think of him as uh, Mr. Norrell's like, book smart. He just like he loves reading and learning and he's very theoretical, except he is practical as well, right? And Mr. Strange is the opposite. He's like, I'm just going to dig in hands first and get, you know, figure it out as I go and kind of, does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes, like, yeah. yeah, but they work together. So, yeah. His very yeah. first spell, he's like, I'm not even sure how I did it. He's like, I heard the music in my head or something like that when he put the book into the mirror. Oh, that, that it just felt right or something like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And I would like to say I enjoyed the first half of volume two a thousand percent more than all of volume one. So if you could reduce volume one to like three chapters instead of like 20, and then that's perfect for this book. And then you move right into number two. And then about the end of volume two, you need to cut off about seven chapters. Somewhere. What would you cut? I don't know. I kind of liked the description of getting the Bogwood. I love that part. See, I... It was I, hilarious. I, funny, where he's just like, okay, we're going to have to sit here for nine hours. And then uh-huh. the Thistledown Man just stops talking, and Mr. Black's like, okay, I guess we're going to sit here. I, I don't know. I am so tired of the Thistledown Man and his story. I just don't ah, I just don't enjoy him as much. Like, I kind of did in this one, because he's actually doing stuff, versus the first one where it's all chance and misdirection, and this one's like, he's actively working. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know what I would cut. I, well, I think if you just cut half the descriptions, like I said earlier, it would shrink itself down to a, a, a better size. But Okay, so this is what I will say. The footnotes are pretty... I mean, in this section, there's like whole footnotes that are entire fairy tales. Yeah, um, it's, that was... <laughs> so what I will say is the footnotes, you don't need to read them. So just stop reading them. Oh, the fairy tales? Yeah, they're, they're, they're yeah. I mean, I guess they're okay. And the, the ring them, was but... fun, but, you know. I did start skimming the, the footnotes because I was just like, these are just so long. And some of them are funny and some of them are more like they're funny in that she's writing all of this down that doesn't matter. But it's not funny like, oh, that was a funny thing. Like I laughed like the one where it's like. Mr. Drawlight had a, or Mr. Childermas had a painting and then nobody ever saw it again. And it's like, why did I turn back to this footnote for nothing? Like, just to be told a painting doesn't exist anymore? Well, I like the part where the the painter, it's from a it's from a book written by a friend of the painter. And the whole story with Strange and Norrell and 
Norrell keeps thinking that um, the painter is copying spells <laughs> instead of doing a painting. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. But just, you know, next next section, just don't read the footnotes. Just don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You'll be a lot happier with the story. So yeah, I was going to say, uh, unfortunately, I'm listening to it, so I don't have that option. <laughs> oh, does it go right I into love them? them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It just flows when it just flows right into them. And I I mean, I'm driving while I listen. I'll sometimes miss a chapter title. And so I'm listening and it'll be talking about Strange and Norrell. I'll space out. And when I tune back in, it's talking about a, a, a goose that swallowed a ring. And I'm going, wait, what? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I really like that Strange and Oral were like best buds. And now they're kind of like, I don't feel like they're really antagonistic towards each other. They're more like friendly rivals. And I'm really hoping in part three, they come back together again to banish the thistle hair, the thistle down hair man forever. That's my I hope. so much I want to say right now. So you can't say it. Don't I know I'm it. not going to say it. What I am going to say is that all of the main narrative any character that you spend any amount of time with, it's important. That character is an important, an important character. So even mm -hmm. though you don't see Mr. Segundus as being particularly important, or Childermass, or Verniculus, I got there's something going on with Childermass though, because he's he's been pulling Mr. Norrell's strings from the beginning. I call I'm calling it. There's something. There's something weird. He's either like he might be the Raven King, or something, because he's been. He's been doing things the whole time. Although I really liked when uh, Mr. Drawlight got caught and he's like, oh, uh, you just walked through that window. Did you that mirror? Did you? Uh, yeah, this is uh, let's do some magic for this girl right here. She's really, really wants some magic done. Uh, all of it. <laughs> that, that was such a great scene. And I love that the fact that she gets her reputation ruined by. The other guy. Uh, Les Ellis or something. Yeah something yeah less ellis and that she's all mad and she wants them to have leprosy and all these different diseases <laughs> and be humiliated and run out of polite society which i don't blame her for that but i also just like how petty she is in general because she hates her father and she hates her ex-husband and it's like you're the one who acted badly. Yeah. <laughs> you want your you want your cousin to just not get married because you screwed up it's just so i just love that scene yeah there was a lot of fun in this book that i did have good it was definitely interesting one uh speaking of having fun with the book have either of you ever known uh like we're friends with the uh a guy an inning a, a brit i guess you'd say a guy from england mm -hmm. uh no yeah kind of but not really Okay. Back back in my late teens, early 20s, I knew this guy. He was from outside of London, born and raised. And he would, off the top of his head, like, you know how in the U.S., at least back in the 80s, we used to tell Polish jokes? Yeah. Okay. Well, in England, they were Irish jokes. And he would always be telling Irish jokes. Like, uh, one I remember was, uh, what's written on the bottle of a, on the bottom of a bottle of Guinness? open other end mm. you know just things like that and so there's a there's a line when um the the thistle down hair man transports steven i'm going to read the, the the paragraph 
Stephen had never seen a landscape so calculated to reduce the onlooker to utter despair in an instant. This is one of your kingdoms, I suppose, sir, he said. My kingdom, explained the gentleman in surprise. Oh, no, this is Scotland. <laughs> and every Irish joke he had ever said flashed through my head at that moment. I just cracked up laughing. <laughs> it was just so... I don't know. It just, it just, it just captured his sense of British superiority so well. But he's a fairy. It's kind of weird. <laughs> but yeah, I know. Well, I agree. Because that's I where the well, Bogwood is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Is the author English? Do you know? I Susanna believe Susanna so. Clark. I'm not sure. No, yeah, I, I, I have I'm no not, idea. I'm saying that. I'm just saying that 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 this old haired man is not English. <laughs> Which no, is what... and neither is Stephen, technically. No, but he's not. that joke just—it just seemed like something he would have said, you know. So, and I—it was funny. What do you guys think about Ar- Arabella and how her character is handled? Uh, she's been fine. I didn't really feel the same vibe that I guess Seeker got, where she's kind of like ignored by Strange. I thought they had a pretty decent kind of thing going on. And then it's just, you know, like when she's kidnapped, it was magic, uh, you know, the fairy working that made him, that made strange kind of forget it um, or forget her, you know, not forget her, but like not see her for a little bit. But I liked her, Bella. She was, she was fun. And when she gets mad at uh, strange for being like, well, I'll just go through the ways again. And he's, she's like, uh, no. And he's like, but you were fine when I went off to war. She's like, no, I wasn't like you went off to war. Please, like, pay some consideration. Like, but that was just like, that's a total husband thing to do, to not even think about it and be like, oh, she said she was fine, so she's fine. And it's clearly like, she said she was fine, so you would go and do your duty, not because she was fine. Well, I I don't, I, I disagree with Seeker, too. I don't think that he ignores her. It's just that he's, he's the absent-minded professor. And... okay. I think he did write the love poem for her on the list of books he was given. He wanted from Norrell, right? So like, yep. And he writes her during the whole war. And it just seemed to me that every time, like she sees he's unhappy, she tries to buy him books. She tries to do this to be noticed, to be an important part of his life. And he's so focused on magic that he seems to be completely ignoring her. And even when she like tries to tell him stuff about, um, the the man with the thistle down hair about the wife or the I guy comes so frustrated by that so frustrated she mentions him like three times and strange isn't ever like hmm. well until near the end when before they leave and he's like oh there is no thistle down man who lives here and i was like and then you just drop it and you never investigate again yeah. well, he doesn't he, he, he calls him like the man with the big nose he can't even remember the description she gave well and it is i he is very dense because he he's already had the interaction with um King George. So he knows that King George is seeing somebody that he can't see. And that King George King is, George even calls him the thistle down hair man, which uh-huh. no, he I calls guess. him the, the silvery haired man. He, he mentions he thistle down slightly, hair. I'm right. pretty sure. No, but he does, but maybe not that. Well, I, I was like ah, just that strange. Part. And then and then Norrell tells him about how fairies, mad people, crazy people can see mm-hmm. fairies. Right. And he and doesn't. Strange is just oblivious. He doesn't put it together. And I'm like, Ugh. I got so frustrated with yeah. that part. Um, 
But uh, you think he's just dense, not taking her for granted or ignoring her. Yeah, yeah. I just think he's uh-huh. not putting it together because he has all these other things going on in his head. And, and I think, well, I was going to say, I think Arabella, I think he appreciates her when she does stuff, but he don't, he might not know about some of the things she's doing, like trying to buy those books for him. That was but, soul crushing. Well, that was, that was more funny to me because I was like, of course, Mr. Neural is like outbidding her, you know, and... and because Mr. Noel probably is doing it through a proxy and doesn't even know, right? So, Mr. Oh, Noel, no, Mr. Noel was there. Oh, was he? he? Was I just, yeah. yeah, he was. He, he was personally outbidding her and knew exactly what he was doing and didn't care. And everybody See, was like, wow, he's kind of a jerk. That's kind of his thing with books, though, again. Yeah. So, like, but, but uh, killing her on the last page of the volume was uh, not cool, first off, <laughs> in any sense. Um, and especially since she died, I was, I think she was one of my more liked characters oh, well, in this whole Jonathan story. Strange thinks she died. She's okay. been kidnapped and taken to ferry. So we well, don't know she, if she'll show up again. Didn't they have her body or no? No, they have the, the, they have the enchanted, uh, bogwood or peat, peatwood. That looks like her. Right. Which is that's why, why it leaves water. That's why there's the water on the floor. I, I see. See, I just thought they used, he used the bogwood to kill her. Not to switch no, places with no, her. No, he, he used the Bogwood to make a dummy of her so that they would think she died and wouldn't, wouldn't uh, come looking for her. Well, I sure hope that they team up and then go beat the Thistle down here, man. Because that's my, that's my, my hope and joy for this. Um, so, what did you think about the magic in this section? So much better. So much. It was so good. There were parts where I was like, why is he doing it that way? But that's just how Mr. Strange does it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I love the, the descriptions of the roads. Should I make a chalk road? No, that's no good. Would, should I make a dirt road? No, let's make us a Roman road. <laughs> and the French always seem to outmarch them, regardless of how good their roads are. And then there's that whole part where he's like, next time, make the road a bit wider. And then they have the scene where the sergeant or colonel or whatever comes up to wellington is like um yeah the road disappeared he's like i can't have my magician just like watching for you guys okay keep up yeah i thought i thought it was so funny that all of mr strange's uh creations anytime he creates something it lasts for way longer than he intends it like he creates the horses out of the salt or out of the the silt in the bay that the ship gets stuck on and then the horses are still around like three hours later. They're bothering people and his birds. Like that he, and a half. Yeah, yeah, it was birds. longer than that. What are even. you still doing here? And the birds that he calls up are all like hanging around still. So I thought that was really funny and really funny. But the other thing I was like, it's like uh, they go to a town and the town's not there. And so like on the map. And so Mr. No, Mr. Strange just moves the town like he has no concern for geograph- geogra- geography at all. He's like, oh, I'll just move this town over 20 miles like where it should be, according to the map that we have. And, <laughs> he and moves, like, uh, he moves Brussels all the way to America and then back. And I'm like, what? You just why? <laughs> And then, or, or in a casual demonstration of magic, he swaps two churches because right, they're with yeah, all the people inside, and they just did it on like a drunken bet. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So Mister Strange is like he's got he's got weird geography magic going because he's just like, oh yeah, I'll just move it here, move it there, and 
when they're fighting Napoleon, he's like, uh, I'll make all the roads go east to west instead of north to south. And I'm like, can you do that? Like, how do you how do you make a road? Like, where does it turn? Does it just turn on its center? Like, just whatever. And he's like, and I moved this over here and I made this go over here. And he just flipped, you know, and saved the war, according to the, the footnotes, which was funny. But like, he's just like, you have the weirdest magical taste ever like well, it reminds me a lot of of like fairy tale fairy magic you know mm-hmm. not like tolkien or anything but actual mm-hmm. old myths where you have someone wandering the wo- in the woods and they end up seeing the same tree 10 times even though they're walking in a straight line it, it yeah. that's kind of like what it felt like they were going for but from the caster's perspective rather than the the part you know the person experiencing it yeah. So, uh, <laughs> speaking of the birds, what, Leonard Strange, what are you doing here? You were supposed to have disappeared hours ago. He made Orzik's sign to disperse a magic spell, and the bird flew off. In fact, rather to his consternation, a whole flock of birds took flight at the same moment. He glanced around nervously to see if anyone had noticed that he had bungled the magic. But everyone seemed busy with military concerns, and he d- concluded they had not. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, that that <laughs> was that was for that whole that whole scene with the the Native Americans, and then the you know some explorer a hundred years later finds this tribe, and they got English names, and they're a little too light skinned, and it's like what the, the hell? only thing they know how to do is hunt. Yes, <laughs> no, we get that the half finished new... people. Yeah, the yeah. half made men. And they no, speak like to do five kill, different yeah. languages. Yeah. <laughs> there, there was a sentence uh, I, I marked here that uh, it was Mr. Norrell did not know a great deal about war, but he suspected that soldiers are not generally your great respecters of books. They might put their dirty fingers on them. They might tear them. They might, horror of horrors, read them and try the spells. <laughs> Could soldiers read? Mr. Norrell did not know, but with the fate of the entire continent at stake, you know, blah, 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 he refused. He had to refuse to lend them. He looked at Childermass with a desperate appeal. Childermass shrugged. <laughs> He's just like, okay, well, sucks. You gotta give up your books. Yeah. And you know he's got to have multiple copies of the same book. Oh, yeah, because he's intentionally bought up everything so no one else can read one and try it and find out by accident that they're a magician. Yeah, which is like, but you want more magicians. You just don't want there to also... Well... So weird because he, he wants more, but he just I think he does because he really likes Strange. When he meets Strange, he's so excited. He just has an obsession about keeping books pristine and clean think, and safe. I think he couldn't imagine the possibility of another magician having a different approach to magic. Because I think what it is with Strange is he realizes he can learn from Strange. Mm-hmm. But and I, I don't think he I think he imagines that anyone else would just learn and do things exactly his way and just be competition. Well, here's what I think. Cause he does, he, do, he really doesn't want more magicians because he's always complaining about English magic is in such bad shape, blah, blah, blah. But every time someone else comes to him to learn or when Miss, Mr. Segundus tries to open the school, he shuts it down. He really doesn't want anybody else. He, he, like you said, he's afraid somebody will be competition. 
Well, I think he's more afraid that somebody will get good and then do bad stuff with it too, because that's that's always in his mind. What if somebody thinks we did something bad? What if we get associated with fairy, you know, with fairies who do bad magic? That's that's kind of always right yeah. present with him. So I wonder if it's more, not more, or just partially that he's just he's paranoid about there being a bad magician. Well, he he wants to reconvene this court to um, prosecute Drawlight. It requires 12 magicians to have that court. Yeah, and he's like, well, there's two over here, and I'm sure we could scrounge up a couple more if we have to. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'll teach them all about magician law, and the, and the, the, the PM's like, uh, you cannot both be judge, jury, and instructor of law. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> and he only came to that. Uh, he only came to that that meeting with forty two pages of notes. <laughs> so OCD. <laughs> um, I like how the L name guy, Lacellus, Lacellus, sure has actually become like the editor of the of, oh, the, of the newspaper. Yeah, right. And he's like, he hasn't updated his decorations for seven years because he's actually been working. <laughs> that was the funniest thing to me because it's always in English society. Well, not always, but like in a lot of English society books, people just live off their money that they get, right? Like, uh, what's the famous one? The one I'm thinking of, Red. We read the book about it and I had the same kind of question. The Jane Austen one. I was going to say, it sounds like every Jane Austen. Like Pride and Prejudice, where it's like, oh, I only get a thousand pounds a month. How will I ever survive? And it's like, well, you could get a job and work. And so, no, that's <laughs> shut it. I, I die at the thought of work. Uh, right. This was and just they're always talking like, about how this person is worth so much a year or so much a month. And it's like, yeah, okay. It's always yeah. a year. It's but, always a year. But yeah, but then they always also make snide comments like, well, that person made their money in trade. Uh, yeah. yeah, but Lacellus actually is like actually working, and he's like, "This is more like." <laughs> that was so funny. So, uh -huh. what do you guys think about zombie soldiers? That was creepy, but eh, you know, I, I, I think it's he, interesting that Nora wanted, thought he could blackmail Strange with them. I think that was more Childermass or Lacellus because Mister Nora didn't even bring it up. Yeah, it was Lasillas and Drawlight that wanted to do that. Drawlight was out by that point. No, yeah, he was out by that. You're right. Uh, here's a question, though, that Kipton wanted us to ask. Would you like a house on an English moor? Yes. And I have to say that based on this book and the descriptions of everything English, I don't think there's anything I would like to be anything about English that I would like. Now, that's not true because I like certain English things, but based on this book, nothing. Well, maybe not the the society. I, I hear about a more, and I think of the Hound of the Baskervilles. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I you know, e either that or the scene of the Barrow Downs in uh, in the Lord of the Rings after they meet uh, Tom Bombadil. Well, that's very much the vibe of this book too. Like it has definitely is referencing that because the the fairies all have. Barrows. Um, oh, what's so creepy? How the 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 thistle, the fairy, uh, talks about how you know he's always criticizing the magician's houses for being messy, and then his place is literally decaying, and he's got thousands of dead bodies outside his castle. Right. And it's like, what the? Yeah, that was a, a very cool scene when uh, 
Jonathan Strange and the King are getting abducted and Jonathan Strange is able to use the old the old old fairy magic and stop it. That was uh that was a fun scene. And the man with the thistle down hair is so angry and he's <laughs> complaining to Stephen about it. How could he even do that spell? Yeah. That was funny. He's like yeah, uh, he does the the taste one. And then in the footnotes, he's like, well, I guess the, the Thistledown man just didn't resort to using taste against me. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how is his, how is your sense of taste going to pull you through this forest? Like, of course he didn't use taste. <laughs> so back to the zombies. This mm-hmm. is because she can, she's really good at being funny, but she's also really good at being pretty dark. And there's this, quote that says in madrid the spanish artist frank francisco goya made a sketch in red chalk of jonathan strange surrounded by the dead neapolitans in the picture strange is seated on the ground his gaze is cast down and his arms hang limply on his side to his sides and his whole attitude speaks of helplessness and despair the expressions of the supplicants on their face. One is putting out a tentative finger to stroke the back of his head. It is, needless to say, quite different from other portraits of Strange. So they have to end up burning these poor guys because he doesn't know how to... He doesn't know how to terminate the spell. Because he's so bad at, at ending his spells or setting a time limit on them. You know, that's... Uh... Well, it says how to do it. It's like cut out their eyes and tongue. It's like, Jesus. And their heart... <laughs> Yeah. It's just like this. It's creepy, but also there's a lot of pathos and you feel bad for these poor soldiers who had already learned a language of hell and obviously don't want to go back. And just this helplessness because Strange doesn't know what he's dealing with. All I can say is at least they didn't come back as Elantrians. (laughs) (laughs) That's a deep cut for our Sanderson fans. (laughs) This is during um, during the Battle of Waterloo. Everything happened over and over, again and again. It was inconceivable that the fight would never have end. And he began to think that it would always be like this. There must come a time when the musket balls and cannonballs run out, he thought. And what will we do with them? What will we do then? Hack at each other with sabers and bayonets. And if we all die, every one of us, who will say who has won? Yeah. And him, uh, the image of him pulling the cavalrymen with mud hands down into the ground and killing them, it was just, it was brutal. Mm -hmm. No more brutal than the descriptions of the battle. I've read, I've read some very good dramatizations and descriptions of that battle. And it, it was less magical, but just as gruesome. Oh, yeah. You know, horses charging into squares, horses getting shot just as they're about to turn aside and falling onto the square, which ends up breaking the square. And then the own the British having to shoot their own people rather than risk the fleeing soldiers breaking the, another square. It's just, yeah, I, that battle yeah. was. Ugh. Susanna Clark can definitely have a a way with words read, like with what you just read and with some other mm-hmm. things. But I just, there's so much other stuff that she spends as much detail on, but not as much wordsmithing on 
that it just gets lost to me. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. like the scene you're describing is is well written. It's it's nice and compact, and it's it's beautiful and it's disturbingness, right? But then she goes into a level of detail that's similar about what some guy's wearing that doesn't matter, and it's like I get, I get bogged down so much by the fur by the, the what the guy's wearing that those other moments can't hit me as hard because I'm too bogged down by it. Does that You're too irritated by what's going on with the other stuff? Right. Or I'm just like, I'm overtired because I've had to like process, like does, you know, because I'm like, okay, what is he trying to actually say here? Okay. It doesn't matter. I just wasted, you know, five minutes thinking about it. And now I have to, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I wish, I just wish, like I keep saying that it just been like trimmed a little bit, even just, streamlined a little bit more because then i think those moments would hit even harder if it was uh you know what i mean there's mm-hmm. that i keep saying my that. question is is this her style or is this intentional style for this book uh, it's intentional style for this book i think it's uh intentional and 100 percent her style because piranesi is very kind of similar uh, I disagree. I think Piranesi is very different in its style. Yeah. I was actually shocked because I did not like Piranesi. I th- in fact, I think I DM'd you a couple very angry. You might have. I don't remember. It was. <laughs> I, was I like, think. I think her level of detailness is uh, is the style part where she goes into detail about everything in kind of odd ways. But but it's that is a really. I mean, that's a novella. It's not very long. No, but that's the, it's still, there's still a lot of over-explanation of, of everything, I thought. So I, just going back to Norrell real quick, I find it really interesting that we find out why he is so angry and hates the Raven King so much. Yeah. Yes, that was, that was definitely an interesting reveal. He's just like, he abandoned us. He doesn't care about us. And I want to excise yeah. it from our magic. And I thought that that was a really good and interesting development in his character. Yeah, it was a, a big shock to see like, oh, you you were you were like Mr. Strange was. You wanted to do the magic all the time and see the, you know, see the Raven King. And now you're like, you've been scorned. And you're like, oh, he doesn't care. He couldn't, he wouldn't come. No, I was a fool. I have to change. I have to do it this way. But it's, uh, that just leads me to really hope for the third one that uh, they defeat the thistle down hair man who may or may not be the Raven King. He's definitely not. He might be. You never know. No, because no, the Raven King was not a fairy. He was we, a human. That's what, 400, 500 at least years ago. There's a lot of things that could have been lied about. Look, I don't just think this is a spoiler. He's not I'm, the Raven King. Look like I know it's not, but I was just having fun uh, playing the <laughs> playing it up. I, I'm okay. like I said, I really think that Children's Mass is is maybe the Raven King, and he's been there all along. But uh, no, I was. I'm just. I'm excited for like the team up and the fight eventually. Hopefully. Okay. So predictions besides stupid stuff like the thistle haired down man is. The Raven King. <laughs> I've given that. my prediction. Jonathan Strange will reach out to Mr. Norrell because he thinks his wife has died or he figures out that it's a fairy trick. And then they go and fight the, they stop the Thistledown man. Meanwhile, that'll happen at like 
the end three chapters of the book and everything else before then will be like, we have to journey to this land and Mr. Black will get more presents that make him more kingly. And Mrs. Pole will just continue to try and tell people and talk about the weirdest things she's ever thought of. You know that that's a spell, right? Oh, I know that. That's what I mean. Like, she'll just continue to do that. It'll keep happening because she can't break the spell. And I mean, Stephen does it too when people ask him. Yeah. No, I know. I'm just saying, like... I feel so I just, sorry. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, like, I think they'll just... They won't be able to break out themselves, but maybe they would. So, like, they'll just keep trying to tell people and not working. That's what I meant. That's all. I feel so sorry for the grocer lady who's in love with him. She's like, I'll go to Africa with you. It was just... <laughs> I feel so bad for her. Okay, Seeker, do you have any predictions? I've got lots of speculation that I want to know about, but I'm way too like I'm way too confused to come up with an actual prediction. I was just looking over the prophecy to see if I could spot anything that might give me a clue, but it's also cryptic poetic. I am completely useless. When you read the prophecy again after you finish the book, you'll be like, "Oh, that makes sense." So, just yeah. I mean, that, that is the experience I had with uh, A Wheel of Time. You know, once I've read it two or three times, then I, all of the prophecies make sense as I read them. Yeah. I've only read that once. Should definitely do it again. That's what everyone keeps saying. But you know what? Green Team took over my reading schedule. Well, <laughs> sounds like we need to read The Wheel of Time on Green Team. Oh, jeez, no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like it that much. It was fine. It was fine. The thing about the Wheel of Time is it set the stage. Without the Wheel of Time, we would not have Sanderson. You know, so it's kind of like what a lot of people say about Dune. It, they're like, why do you say it's so great? It's nothing compared to whatever. And it's like, well, yes, but all of those are based off of this. Well, and yes, but I, was, no. I, I don't think you can argue that as much for Dune as you can for Wheel of Time. Uh, I think yeah. Dune was for political sci-fi. I don't know. Heinlein. Yeah, well, Heinlein, Clark, Herbert, Asimov, they're all like the same era. Right. Um, and we can debate how political each of them are, but... Um, they're all pretty political. <laughs> yes. A lot of social commentary in all of them. Um, some of it's dumb social commentary. <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoy Asimov's. Asimov's. He, he I, his sense of whimsy and humor, I just love. I'm trying to think of the three which I like better. I honestly like Heinlein better, but I don't think I necessarily agree with him. I just enjoy. Well, Heinlein was all caught up in the weird marriages and child rearing and stuff. Well, I mean, but there's a lot of that of the era stuff. It, there was a lot of that in Dune too, especially as you get further into the series. What is it with all of those people and weird sex stuff? Because I, uh, I think that was the era. Dean too. It was just the era. But luckily, Susanna Clark has none of that weird stuff in it at all. No weird sex well, stuff. It's, it's what? Victorian <laughs> England? It's exactly. no. It's none of no, it. No, it's... Um, well, it's King George, but it's just King after George Victoria? The, no, she, King George III was king when, during the Revolution. Okay. It, it's 1810 is when the yeah, it's Napoleonic. When, right, but when was Victoria queen? She was 
in the I want to say I don't know 1950. Oh, okay. So it's so it's even before her. So yeah, yes. it makes sense. Yes. Yeah, even more prudish. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, oh, I, 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 I'm aware that these things come in waves and pendulums and you can't just say further back in time, more socially conservative. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> I was going to say, because Henry VIII's court was notorious. Oh, yes. For... Yes, absolutely. So any closing thoughts? I'll let somebody else go first, because I feel like I've gone first on a lot of thoughts. My thoughts are, I can't wait for you guys to see how everything wraps up, because it is all tied up with a beautiful bow at the end of the book. Very nice to know. And yeah, that's my that's my biggest thing is I was just I hope that all these loose ends get tied up because right now it's just a big mess. There's only I, one loose end, but it's not a loose end that you would expect. Yeah. My my thoughts are the same as I've said most of the time. It's just too much of tedious stuff. But I'm really enjoying, I really did enjoy the second volume more than the first. And I do anticipate really liking the third volume. So I, I hope that that holds true. Yeah, I also enjoyed the second more, especially the Peninsular Wars. Mm -hmm. I, I predict that you will not like the third volume as much, Chesky. Oh, okay. I don't know about Seeker. Well, I've, I don't know why, but I have thoroughly enjoyed the book. There's just some books I start listening to them and I, I don't want to put them down. And this has been one of those. And I don't understand why I like some and why I don't like others. Well, that's fair. Sometimes. I mean, I don't like, like, there's a lot of Robin Hobb fans mm -hmm. on our Discord. I don't like her. I just hey, don't. You just keep those wrong opinions to yourself over there oh you and eric can just get on me if you want <laughs> yeah I, I i think robin hobb i would have done better if they'd be the titles had been different but i went in with expectations of assassins and instead i got well i got what it is which yeah. is almost a coming of age story and <laughs> that that's the whole assassin thing is just tangential I read yeah. it when I was young enough that that didn't matter for me. So, mm. but yeah, but, but another example, there's this fantasy series that a friend recommended to me. I think it's called the portal fantasy or something. The story sounds absolutely fascinating. I can't get through like the first four or five hours. I, I listen for half an hour and I find myself just not paying any attention at all, even though the story seems interesting. So, yeah. I mean, it's just there's so much taste yeah. involved. And, and like we talked about on the first episode where we were covering this, I love Charles Dickens. Chesky does not. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> so there you go. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. You can join the conversation on Reddit and Discord. We are also on Twitter at Green Team Pod. Please consider supporting the Legendarium via Patreon. The music is Galactic Damages by Jingle Punks. Thanks, Craig, for loading us a little corner of your media empire. And for Chesky and Seeker, I'm Little Red Book. Good night, y'all. Good night. Bye. And I'm not going to have to cut five minutes of cursing because there was only one person <laughs> who cursed, and it was me. <laughs>